you would, turn in the Bible to Revelation 22. Revelation 22. We are at the end. It's been a long journey. Went back and looked it up. It was February the 6th of 2022, just a little over a year ago, when we started this study in the book of Revelation. Been a couple breaks for us, like the Christmas season, but this is now our 47th sermon in the book of Revelation, so not quite a full year of preaching through it. It's been good for us, and we've come all the way to the end. Make no mistake about it that God's word wants you to know that one day you're going to meet Jesus. You're going to stand before him one day. There's no question about that. The Bible tells us that in many, many ways. It warns us that get ready while you're living because once you die, you go straight to be in the presence of God. And dying could happen at any moment. We are not promised tomorrow. We don't know how old we're going uh, to live until. We don't know when our heart will stop. We don't know when our moment is. You will meet Jesus when you die. But there's also a totally other option. And that is Christ will return. And when Christ returns, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. He will gather everybody that has ever lived and he will put them before him. And when that happens, he will be the righteous judge over everything that we have done. The Bible end, the Bible teaches that all the way through, and the Bible ends by making sure this is the emphasis. The final passage today says multiple times, I am coming soon. But as you see in the title, which is in your church bulletin, we're framing this with, I am coming soon to warnings and a promise. I am coming soon to warnings and a promise. Today's sermon is gonna be from Revelation 22, starting in verse 11, and we'll go all the way to the end. But before I read that, I just want to remind you that it is so much a part of Christianity that we believe in the second coming of Christ. We do. Sometimes, because of confusion or whatever, there becomes disinterest. People are turned off to it. But I want to assure you here today that there is to be no Christianity, no Christian living, no walking by faith, hoping and trusting in Christ without the hope of the return of Christ. It is a part of who Christians are, that we have been saved by our Lord who died on the cross for our sins and rose again to newness of life, who lives now, who went up to heaven, that his very promise in the midst of all of those promises is that I will come again and I will take you to myself. We know this. And sometimes we forget that. So here at the beginning, I just chose three random songs that I think you'll, you'll, you'll know that talk about our hoping in the second return of Christ. This one is a casting crown song. It starts like this. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. Word became flesh and the light shined among us, his glory revealed. Rising he justified freely forever, 
One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. You know that song, don't you? And that song gives us lots of scriptural truths, but there in the middle of it is a huge scriptural truth that you must believe in and live by today. One day he is coming back. That shapes who I am. It shapes my character, my integrity. It shapes my hope. It gives foundation and strength and positive focus to my faith. A little bit later in that song, it says, one day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with his glories will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved one bringing. My savior, Jesus, is mine. See, we believe in the return of Christ. It's a part of who we are. Here's another one. That good old classic hymn, It Is Well. It starts like this, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. But then at the end, listen to this. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. See, we sing about this. It's a part of who we are. It is to be the foundation and it is to be a driving influence in our faith that Christ is coming back. We cannot live our lives without that. There is no morality that you and I can shape apart from that God that loves us, that made us, that sent his son to die for us will soon one day come back and we will be before him. These songs help us think through this. But not only do the songs, but it comes from scripture. It's all throughout the scriptures, and I think that we know this. Several years ago, we did a a series through all the minor prophets, and we preached through all the minor prophets. We kept hearing that phrase over and over again, in that day and on that day, and it doesn't always refer to the ultimate return of Christ and the judgment day, but a lot of times it does. Matt McBroom read earlier from Hebrews chapter 9. And I hope that you were paying attention. When we read scripture during the service, we want you to follow along. But at the end of Hebrews chapter nine, it says this, just as it is pointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. And Christ, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, listen, will appear a second time. It says that in the book of Hebrews. Let me show a few more passages to you. Again, this is all we're just setting up here so that we can finish out the Bible. Matthew chapter seven. This Sermon on the Mount passage Very familiar passage where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 7, 21. It keeps going, though. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, listen to this. On that day, this is Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
This is Jesus on earth living, speaking about a future day, and that is the day that he would return and judge the world and deal with us. Later, that's Matthew 7, later in Matthew 25, a passage that we have turned to many times in our series in Revelation. Matthew 25, verse 31 begins like this. Again, this is Jesus teaching. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And then he's gonna gather everybody, separate the sheep from the goats and judge them. Referring to that day. Well, let's look at a different one. This is 2 Timothy chapter four, okay? It's a passage that we use a lot, and, and it's a passage that we use a lot, quite frankly, at funerals at the end of one's life. 2 Timothy four, listen to six through eight. This is the apostle Paul. He says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Now, this is interesting because I said there's two ways for you to meet God. You die and you meet God, or he returns and you meet God. And either way, those are coming soon. One of those two are coming soon. Paul here unites both. The time of my departure has come. He's old. We think this is probably his last letter. He's close to dying. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Does everybody hear that? Paul is about to die, and he's thinking about a future day when something's going to happen. Christ will return, and he will deal with him. Will award to me on that day, listen to this, this incredible, incredible phrase. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 2 Timothy 4.8, the Apostle Paul speaks about a group of people that love the return of Christ. All who have loved his appearing. On that day, there will be people going, yes, finally. There is a category of people in the world today who are not looking for God to make life the best it could possibly be right now because in this fallen world, we're aware of the struggle. But there's a category of people right now that realize whether he answers or not, whether he provides or not, one day he will come and rescue us. Heaven is not that far away and we will be with him. Hebrews 9 says, all those who are eagerly waiting for him and 2 Timothy 4.8 says, to all who have loved his appearing. John Piper recently wrote a book on this whole idea. It's called Come Lord Jesus. He's written tons of books and this is his most recent one. Listen to what he says about this. So I think Paul would say that the test of our proper affection for the first coming of Christ is the measure of our affection for the second coming of Christ. You don't hear that much, I know that. He says, according to this passage, loving his appearing, that one of the proper tests, uh, or one of the tests for our proper affection for the first coming of Christ, meaning Jesus came, who he is, our leader, our teacher, our savior, died on the cross, rose from the grave, all that we get in the first coming of Christ, born of a virgin, that whole, that whole message is also including our interest and affection 
with the second coming of Christ. Listen, he says, or to say it another way, the test of our love for the Christ who has appeared is our longing for the Christ who will appear. Therefore, I believe I am building on a good foundation when I say that the aim of this book is to help people love the second coming of Christ. To such people, Christ, the righteous judge, will award the crown of righteousness. Church, we have spent the last year in the book of Revelation. And as we start to conclude it here today, may it be the case that we believe the word of God We have found him trustworthy. That's what all last week's sermon was about from the middle of Revelation 22. God is trustworthy. We can trust him. And he says to us, he's coming back for us, that we are to put all of our eggs in that very basket, that God is our savior and we are hoping in him. And that is the answer to our lives. That is our hope. That is what we believe. Christ is our savior. We rest in nothing else. We believe nothing else. We hope in nothing else. We don't have a plan B, we don't have a fallback plan, we don't have a savings account with anything in it if this goes wrong. We are believing the trustworthy word of God and his promises that Jesus is the savior of sinners of which we can totally identify. We need his forgiveness. He came the first time and he will come again. Revelation 22 brings us to the very end of God's revealed word. Read with me, starting in verse 11 to the end. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty Come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. What an incredible ending to a long, fascinating book. Both Revelation and the whole word of God. We know that the Bible has many authors in each of these books, but they were inspired by God. And we see so much continuity and unity throughout it that we know the Bible also has one author, that being God. There's so much connection between Genesis and Revelation, and they were written way many years apart. God is the author here, and we see the emphasis. In this final page of your Bible, you've got the word soon four times in chapter 22. 
on this final page of your Bible, you've got the word come four times in chapter 22. Jesus saying, I'm coming soon. People crying out, come. And it's this emphasis, or rather this urgency, or rather this weighty reality that you and I must be focused on the glory of God through his son, the Savior, Jesus. I had to go down Dixie Highway just one day this week. And kind of right there, let's say, between uh, Stone Street and East Pages, that's kind of where that new Scooter's Coffee Shop is and the new McAllister's. There's railroad tracks on the other side, and there's an old billboard right there. And that billboard says on it, Jesus is Lord. Are you prepared to meet him? Now, you may not agree with that strategy or approach. It's certainly an old-fashioned way to do it. Billboards like that have been around for a long time. But based off our study of Scripture, I hope you will not agree with the message of that billboard. You're going to meet the Lord Jesus Christ one day. And it is a kind, helpful, loving message to say, are you prepared to meet him? Are you prepared to meet him? The Bible ends with that very message. For while the end of the Bible in Revelation 22 sends the message to us that he is coming, he is coming, he is coming, in the middle of that beautiful message, he's coming, there are warnings, two rather heavy warnings. The first warning, we've got three points today, two warnings and a promise. Three points today, two warnings and a promise. The first warning comes right here in verse 12. And the warning is that Jesus says, I am coming to repay each one for what he has done. Payback is no fun, is it? If you accidentally hit somebody and they get to hit you back, you regret that. If you insult somebody and they say, I'm gonna insult you back, you regret that. If you play a prank on somebody and you laugh so hard because you got them good, they might say to you, Hey, I can play that game too. Hey, payback, okay? Jesus here speaks of that on the grandest scale, on a cosmic scale. The one who has all authority in heaven and on earth is going to come and repay people for what they've done. This is in verse 12. If you look, he says, behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Now, we did not preach verse 11 last week, so let's start there. Verse 11 has this really odd verse, and, 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 and it is an odd verse because it, it sounds like it's, it's okay to sin or it's okay to do evil or, or what's going on here. Look at verse 11. Let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Now, if the return of Christ is not in view, we really struggle with that verse because the message from God always is stop sinning, turn back to me. It's been that way from the very beginning. He told Adam and Eve that, right? Throughout the history of the Old Testament, that's the message. Hey, stop sinning, turn back to God. Turn away from sin and turn to God. That's always been the message. That's the message here today, that you would turn from your sins and ask God to forgive you and believe that the Father in heaven that created you will accept you into his family based off forgiveness, not based off of goodness. 
God is not looking for you to be good enough for him to welcome you into his family. That cannot happen. It will not happen. Stop trying to make that happen. But rather, admit your sins, confess your sins, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will receive you based off the work of Christ. But at this point, we're at the end of the world. We're past the end of the world, quite frankly. We already saw the heaven and earth pass away. We're on the last page. This is heaven. This is the very end. And so at that point, it's not turn from your filthiness, turn from your evil. It is. The evil are the evil. That's what they do. The filthy are the filthy. That's what they do. And the righteous are the righteous. That's what they do. And the holy are the holy. That's what they do. When he comes to pay back, when he comes to pay back, those things will already have been settled. That will already be final. There is no more turning. So the warning here this morning, the first warning is, Jesus says he's coming soon, bringing recompense with him to repay each one for what he has done. Mm. What a huge, heavy reality. Are you ready for that? Now, the Bible teaches, Jesus does in John chapter five, that for all who believe fully in him, they will escape the judgment. So there's comfort here today knowing that you can be forgiven of your sins. But there's also a strong warning here, a good reality, that Jesus is coming back to deal with you. Do you remember just a few chapters back, we preached it, it was, it was, it was a good study for us. It's chapter 20, verse 12, when it says this. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Remember, Jesus has books recording everything that we've ever said or thought or done. He knows. Nothing is hidden from his sight. He sees it all. Every creature is naked and exposed before him. There's nothing to hide. We won't apply and hope our application is good enough. We won't submit our resume and hope that it, it's, 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 it's good enough for us to be accepted. It doesn't work like that. It's complete exposure where he knows everything we've done and in his goodness and righteousness and holiness, he will deal with that. You and I need to be aware of that. Schreiner writes that Christians of every generation have rightly believed that Jesus might come during their lifetime. And hence the prophecy functions as promise and warning. You and I are to live right now knowing you're gonna stand before Jesus one day. You and I are to live right now with every word that comes out of our mouth saying, is he pleased with that? Is he honored with that? You and I are to live right now knowing that the way we treat every single person, the person that's rude to us, the person that's evil to us, the person that is crooked to us, the person that sends us evil, mean text messages, we're to treat everybody with the way that we would want to be treated. It's the golden rule from Jesus. And we are to treat people knowing that God sees and God knows and he is going to deal with us. 
The repayment is coming. The recompense he is bringing, and we are to understand that. Wilcock writes this amazing paragraph. Verse 12 emphasizes these last points and shows on what the outcome depends. The final state is directly related to this present life. Y'all, that's massive. Oh, we pray that that would grip your heart and life. The final, listen to this, the final state is directly related to this present life. It will be a repayment to every man for what he has done here. And it is Christ's recompense since what he has done means really what he has done with Christ and what he has allowed Christ to do through him. That criterion, forgotten or ignored by millions, will be reestablished on the day of judgment. For he is the last as well as the first, the end as well as the beginning. Hey, you may not be thinking too much about how God's gonna deal with each and every day of your lives and each and every action of your lives in judgment. And, and true, admittedly, there's a whole world of people out there that do not even think about that at all. It has no binding on them. Wilcock writes, it will totally be reestablished in that day that you were made for Christ. You were kept alive by Christ. You were loved and cared for by Christ. And that will be fully in perspective in that day. By faith now, today, may it be in perspective now. We've been studying Colossians in the middle of the week. And in Colossians chapter three, verse six, we get a couple, li- in chapter three, we get a couple lists of, of sins. The first one, well, let me just read them to you. This will be helpful, all right? Colossians three, here's the first list. Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. That's the first list. And then a little bit later in uh, Colossians chapter three, uh, verse eight, you have, but now you must put them all away. Uh, uh, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, okay? Put all of these sins away. Regardless how you categorize them, inside or outside, big or small, you know, dealing with people, dealing with you, regardless of how we categorize these, put them to death. Get rid of them. And listen to what Colossians 3, 6 says. Just a huge statement that packs a punch. Verse six, on account of these, The wrath of God is coming. To be a believer today is to know that that day is coming. And by faith, allow your heart and your life and your living to be shaped by it. That's our first warning. Jesus is coming. That's our first warning. Jesus is coming. All right, but there's another warning, okay? There's another warning, and we're going to jump down. We're going to skip the the, the blessing right now, the promise. So we're going to jump all the way down now to verse 18. Here's the second one. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues, plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the books, the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. That's our second warning. It specifically has to do 
with revelation, with this book, adding message to it or taking message away from it. In other words, God means what he says, and he does not need you to try to improve upon it. It's a hot conversation these days, if you look online, about all the churches and all the preachers who are taking it on themselves to figure out what part of the Bible is the part that you can share and what part's true and can be used and what part needs to be ignored. You'll even hear preachers today apologizing that they actually quoted the Bible and that they used God. I would be scared for speaking that way if I was speaking on behalf of God. Nothing seems worse than when somebody misquotes you, right? Well, here's what he said. He said that? And you go back to that person and say, they, they, they told me you said this. No, I did not say that. They totally changed the whole message. That is not what I said. When somebody quotes you wrongly or misrepresents you, it's horrible. It'll make you mad. Hey, I can speak for myself, right? Let my yes be yes, my no be no. Let, let's write it down. Why won't you record it, right? We do not like to be misquoted. It's wrong. It's lying. It's dishonest. It's not trustworthy. I remember learning a long time ago that a half-truth presented as a whole truth is not the truth. A half-truth presented as a whole truth is not the truth. And there is all sorts of lying that goes on in our day where what they said is a part of the truth, but since they left something out of the message, they are lying now. Church, let that not be you. Don't let that be the case in your marriage. And don't let that be the case in your parenting. Speak the truth and be willing big enough to handle the results of it. When it comes to you representing God, don't you dare. Don't you dare add to his message or take away from it. It's kind of hard to figure out if, if, if here this means revelation or if here this means the whole Bible. It, it is kind of hard to determine that. I'm not really sure. I'm really, I'm not really sure. A lot of people say, since the Bible has so much unity to it, it can apply to all of the above. Comply to Revelation, comply to the whole Bible, can really just apply to the message of God, the whole big message of God, the gospel message that he's a holy God, Father in heaven, that we're sinners that have disobeyed him, but he has the answer to our problem that he sent Christ into the world out of his love to die on the cross for us, and if anybody will turn from their sins and repent to God, they will be forgiven and they will be saved and have eternal life. That full message that Revelation teaches us, that the whole Bible teaches us, do not add to that or take away from that. It's hard to tell. But I do know that when we start, when we start trying to mix up what's good and what's not, and God didn't mean that, and this is what he really means, and that part's not true, we can add to it, that's scary. Wilcock hits the nail on the head. This might be the best thing in the sermon today. He says, if we believe that what God has said in his book is not sufficient for salvation, but that we need to make certain additions of our own if we are to be saved, or if we believe that some of the demands of God's book are superfluous and we can get by without observing them, then we are not only saying that we know better than him, we are, which is much very worse, acting as if that were true. Rudeness, God can forgive, but blind willfulness is the sin against the Holy Spirit. Of the curse that comes upon those who alter the gospel to suit themselves, it will be said with the most terrible truth that they have asked for. 
Do not take it upon yourself to put yourself in the position of God. Here's what God meant to say. Here's what you should believe. Here's what it really means. Or something that hits a little bit closer to home. Well, I just think that fill in the blank. Folks are doing it all day long. Church folks are doing it all day long. Well, you see, I just think this, you know, because I knew somebody that, that thought that. Well, I just think this, and we'll just see when we get there. We'll let God sort it all out. He tells us here to not do that. You are foolishly blind to take the final book of the Bible and read it like we've done and study it devotedly like this for an hour every single Sunday and then conclude, well, I just think this about it and we'll see if he's right or wrong when we get there. What? He's warning us to not do that. He's warning us to believe and submit and trust. He's warning us to know that he's a good father in heaven. He is. Listen to the ways that he's described. I've intentionally not said those yet. Look at verse 13. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I'm huge, God says. Before there was even water or land, I was there. And when we get to this very day in judgment at the end in heaven with the streets of gold and the living water flowing down the middle of the street, which we just studied about, I'm going to be there. It's all about me, he says. In this giant universe, there's a throne in the middle, and I sit on it, God says. Why, why, why in your pride and your selfishness and your foolishness and your blindness would you want to question God and think that whatever you're coming up with in your little experience, which it's really hard to tie our experience in with all the experiences that are going on in the world. Y'all, there are so many shoes that we've not walked in. There's so many shoes that we've not walked in in 2023, in 1923, 1823, 1523. There's so many shoes that we don't know anything about in 23, y'all. We do not have the best perspective on what is the reality going on in this world. We need God, who is eternal, to tell us the truth to shape our lives. That's what he's doing with this book. Don't you dare get away from it. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end, okay? Uh, skip over to verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the church. He says, this is my testimony. This is my plan. I sent an angel to John, and John is trustworthy. We've gone over that before. John has been proving that he's trustworthy throughout his time here on earth and with his books that we read. He's got five books in the New Testament, John does, and he sent this message to give to the churches, which start with the seven churches at the beginning of Revelation and carries over to all the true churches in the world, of which we are one. In verse 16, he goes on. This is an amazing statement. I am the root and the descendant of David. How can you be both? How can you be both? How can you be the root of all of David's family line and a descendant from the family line? Are you the dad or are you the son? Which are you? Now, Jesus Christ is both. He's the both to David. Remember when he said, and they were worked up over it. You remember when he said, before Abraham was, I am. On earth, he came after Abraham, no doubt about that, by a long shot. In the big picture, he created Abraham. All things were created by him and through him and for him. He is the descendant of David. God told David, that good king, 
you'll have a son on the throne forever. That's Jesus. He's a son of David in that way, a descendant. But he is also the root of David all the way back to when that family line began. He's the bright morning star. Keep going though, verse 17. The spirit and the bride long for this. They say, come, let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. There is a longing for an answer in this life. There is a longing in your heart to find the answer to this life. And the Bible is telling us here that it is none other than Jesus Christ himself who loves you and gave himself for you. These warnings are good for us. Like a sign that says, curve ahead. Like a sign that says, put on your seatbelt. Like a warning that your water could be contaminated, so don't drink it. If the water's contaminated, we shouldn't drink it. Warnings are good for us, aren't they? We don't hate warnings. And God, in this beautiful passage that he is coming soon, clearly there's an emphasis there, gives two warnings. But in the midst of the warnings, there is a beautiful promise. Look with me at verse 14. Revelation has a theme to it, these blessings. There are seven blessings in the book of Revelation. We have a final one here at 2214. But I want to remind you, I did this last week too, but I want to remind you that Revelation also began that way. Listen to Revelation 1-3. This is the intro to the book. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. See, there's that blessing there. If you will commit yourself to this book, if you will believe this book, if you will walk by faith trusting this book, you are blessed by God, you will be saved. Verse 14 of the very last page, 2214, says another blessing. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. There's a whole crowd of people that don't. That's what verse 15 is about. Outside, there are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everybody who loves and practices falsehood. They won't come to the light. They won't come to the truth. They won't repent and say that they're wrong. They won't confess that Christ is right. And so there's a whole crowd of people that are that way. But there is an invitation in this life for you to come to the one who is good and right and true. And there is blessing for anybody that will. The blessing here says those who wash their robes. This is a symbolic picture of you washing off the sin and filth in your life and being forgiven and made new. The Bible says cleanse. The Bible says a clean conscience. The Bible says purity of heart. The Bible says you've been made new and in God's eyes you're righteous, holy, and pure. Wash your robes. We know that we wash our robes and we get that salvation forgiveness through the blood of Christ. For when Christ died on the cross, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If, you conf- if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Blessed are those who do that. And then you get two things here, which are really the same things described in in different ways. You may have the right to the tree of life. Do you remember that in the beginning? 
that the first man did not have the right to the tree of life because of his sin. Adam was not allowed to eat from the tree of life because of his sin. And here at the end, we have an an invitation that all men who will believe have a right to the tree of life, and they also get uh, to enter the city by the gates, that new Jerusalem, that heavy city, that heavenly city, that city of God, you're welcomed into it. In other words, in other words, it is the full salvation experience. It is eternal life, it is heaven, it is being with God. Blessed are you if you get that. Now let's remember that you get that by faith and repentance toward God. You get that by confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. You get that by turning from your sins and believing that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. What an incredible ending to the Bible that there would be two warnings and a promise, that there would be an emphasis upon this is happening soon, this is happening soon, come, come, come. If you look at verse 20, here's what you have. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon, amen. And then a statement from somebody other than Christ, come Lord Jesus. We have Christ saying I'm coming soon and we have a response of believers saying yes, come soon. What a thought. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote this. If you board the wrong train, it is no use running along the corridor in the other direction. Does that feel like heavy truth or what? If you board the wrong train, it is no use running along the corridor in the other direction. Church, our world is full of people going in the wrong direction. And they are resolved to just try and be the best person they can be. And that is not right. We need forgiveness, we need life, we need a relationship with God, we need Jesus. And God in his goodness has given us warning, has given us promise that we would be right with him. What an incredible thing it is to identify yourself with the truth of God. He wrote this book for us that we would be blessed because we've believed him. He wrote this book for us because he is trustworthy. And when somebody trustworthy tells you something, you can believe it. This morning during Sunday school, somebody said to Jake, can I go with you to Cove today? Jake said, sure. So we went with Jake, he's there now, he's not here. Somebody else came up to me right before church started and said, hey, guess what? Before such and such left, he gave me his offering. You know why he told me that? Because that means that that person thinks he's trustworthy. He doesn't think he'll pocket it. He thinks I can count on you. I can depend on you. And so that person now has somebody else's cash money in their hand. Well, they did before the offering. And they had it in their hand and they put it in the plate. What an incredible thing it is to be able to 
trust and believe somebody. Not only with your money, but with your words, with your influence, with your love, with your care, with your life. Trustworthiness is so special. And yet, the one who is absolutely trustworthy, more trustworthy than me or you, our Father in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I'm coming back for you. Be ready. I'm coming soon to bring repayment. I'm coming soon. Do not change my words. I'm coming soon. Blessed are all that believe me. May that be you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the book of Revelation. It's been good for our faith. The urgency, the weightiness. God, the the supremacy of Christ above everything else, how he reigns. It's been good for us. Father, we hear the warnings today and we say thank you for that warning. God, we hear the promise today and we say we want that blessing. God, we thank you for Christ and the forgiveness of sins. Father, we pray here today that we would submit and respond and surrender by faith that you are trustworthy. You have the words of eternal life. And so we turn to you. Father, do this great work inside of us that we would live our lives mindful of this final state with our everyday living now. That we would walk by faith as believers in Christ, our Savior, who we will one day meet soon. In your name we pray, amen.